I wrote the script of the person who I wanted to be, and I became that person. And I was popular, and I had friends, everybody liked me, but it still wasn't good enough. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. All right, welcome back to Testimony Tuesday on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. We are here once again. Uh, We are in the middle now of season six, right at the beginning here in February 2023. Uh, We've gotten a good start, and uh, we're very excited to continue to see the audience grow and uh, the numbers of the downloads begin to uh, to go back up again. It's just crazy. Even even, uh, during the time that we were off in January here. Uh, we were not putting out any episodes, but I was amazed to see that downloads were still happening almost every single day. So it's uh, pretty amazing to see people benefiting from all of these sermons and, and testimonies. So uh, we want to get right to the meat of today's show. And uh, today we are very glad to welcome uh, Pastor Jamar Blyther, uh, all the way from our, the, our sister church over in Newport News. Welcome and hello, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, so glad that you were able to make some time for us. Uh, I've been scrambling to get some interviews together uh, so that we can Mm -hmm. get ahead a little bit uh, of the schedule. And so you were kind enough to do a same day, last minute interview for us. So uh, props to you. Thank you so much for making that happen. No, no problem. Thank you for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure. How how long have you been a, a listener of the podcast? I've been listening to podcasts a few years now. Um, just got the premium membership uh, about six months ago. So that's really been eye-opening. I tell everybody, hey, you need to become a premium member. There's so much more content <laughs> up there, uh, especially, you know, the, uh, the, the Sunday schools from Pastor Campbell. It's just powerful. Mm, okay. Okay. That's that's good for our listeners to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we put a lot of content out there, even on the on the free uh, feed, but you're right. Yeah, the, the premium um, subscribers are getting a lot more. That's that's for real. And uh, none of the ads and none of the fluff. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's good. comes early, especially if you get up early in the morning, go to work. You know, it's really good. You can listen to it on the way to, to your job, finish you off on the way back home. So it works really good. I, I, I was wondering if anybody out there appreciated the early release for the premium subscribers. Oh, so you, you confirmed it. Thank you, sir. <laughs> um. So, um, so yeah, for those who don't know you, why don't you give yourself an introduction? Uh, we know that you're serving the Lord up in the Newport News Church, but uh, give, us, give us the intro of, uh, of where you're from and uh, where you're serving God now. Yeah, well, my name is Jamar Blyther. I am the door director currently at the Newport News Potter's House under uh, Pastor Larry Mitchell. Um, I was pastoring in uh, Portsmouth, Virginia, 
uh, for a little bit over two years and uh, got brought back in for redirection uh, in September of uh, 2022. And uh, it's it's been really good. Uh, God has been tremendously moving in my family. It's been working out. 2021 actually is when we came back in for redirection, and uh, it's it's been a it's been a whirlwind. Uh, but God has really been pumping into us. Our, it's great to have more time with our pastor, and uh, excited. We're trying to put a church out in Yorktown, so we'll see if that happens this year at conference. Praise God! That's very exciting. So, um, so yeah, that's a, a very interesting story. That, that you, uh, if I have it right, you were not only pastoring in Portsmouth, but that was the church that you got saved in. Was that correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. So uh, uh, years ago, um, Pastor Tijero, uh, one of the, he was a second church sent out of the Newport News congregation into Virginia Beach, got saved under him. And then um, he brought, got brought back into Newport News, went into Guyana. Yep. So Evangelist Brooks, um, he um, got brought in to be the assistant pastor in Newport News at the time. And uh, we took over the church in Portsmouth. And uh, we were there pastoring through Corona uh, for two years. And then in 2021, got brought in for redirection back into Newport News. Okay. Well, we're going to get some more details on all of that um, Mm. here in a few minutes. But before we get to all of that experience that you have, um, I want to uh, do the deep dive. And uh, I want to hear a little bit about your background, your family, where you grew up, and and, uh, what was life like for you? Definitely. Well. Grew up in uh, kind of between Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Uh, my mother, um, we were in Washington, D.C., not really a um, military person, but she was young and trying to find herself. So we moved to a lot of different places, ended up in D.C. And um, if you know anything about D.C., uh, especially in the, the 80s, it was a very dangerous place. It was the murder capital for a little while. And uh, I would always go over the summers down south to be with the grandparents in West Virginia. And um, it was really bad in D.C., a lot of shootings, not a lot of gangs. It was just a lot of a lot of violence, and um, especially in the area that we were in that we could afford. It was extremely dangerous. So uh, when I turned uh, 14, I was down at my grandparents' house and there for the summer. And she said, hey, you know, it's very dangerous here. I don't know if you'll survive. Uh, if you come back and do high school here, you might want to stay in West Virginia. Uh, so I ended up uh, staying in West Virginia. Uh, talk about a cultural shock. It was a big difference going from the inner city to the middle of nowhere in West Virginia. Um, my graduating class in West Virginia was 32 people in the graduating class. Wow, that's a small town. What's the name of the city? So, uh, so the name of the city that I graduated in is Mount Hope. West Virginia um, is probably about 45 minutes away from the capital, from Charleston, West Virginia. Okay. Wow. So West Virginia, man, I don't, I don't think I know anybody from West Virginia except for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It's, it's one of those areas that beautiful to visit. It's great if you're an outdoorsy type of person, whitewater rafting, skiing, things like that. Horrible to live in <laughs> unless you're <laughs> retiring. There, there's no money unless you work for, you know, the coal mines, things like that. There's, there's really no money out there. So wow. uh, it's a tough area to live in, tough area to live in. Wow. So um, so your family growing up, did you have uh, siblings, <clears throat> your brothers and sisters? So no, it was just me and my mom for, for a while. And uh, my mother got uh, married to a, a gentleman that was a deacon at church. 
So we started going to church at a young age. And then my sister came around in, uh, in when I was 13. So I was only around my sister for one year. And then I went off to West Virginia. So I didn't see her most of my childhood. Wow. Okay. So dad was not around. Dad was not around. Dad was not around. Um, I saw my father five times in my life. Um, I, I saw him probably three times growing up. And uh, me and my family, I was grown, you know, saved. I was like, hey, you know, I need to go ahead and try to make this work, try to, you know, give this gentleman a chance, see if something could work out. And uh, piled the family in the car, we drove down to South Carolina, uh, maybe about, I don't know, five or six years ago, and got a chance to see him, introduce him to his grandkids. Nothing really sparked from it. So, you know, no harm, no foul. Uh, you know, just let them know, hey, you know, I have no hard feelings. I understand how it is. And, uh, you know, God bless you. Wow. So that's, that's, uh, there's probably a, a lot of uh, un, unspoken about uh, emotions behind all of that, I would imagine. I know, at least it yeah. was for me. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing was I always had a, a father figure in my life. Um, always had a man that would step up. My my mother, uh, God bless, she's saved now in the church, going to church with us in Newport News. God is a, is a miracle. I never thought that she would go back to church. But uh, so my mother was just, you know, just young. She's 16 and, you know, had some issues in the, in the household and she ended up running away from home. And, you know, back in the... Uh, Back in the 70s, it was a little bit different than now. She went and got married at 16 years old to a 33-year-old man in West Virginia. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so this was obviously before I was born. And, you know, she had this uh, relationship with this man for a while. And obviously that didn't work out too long. And when I say I stayed with my grandparents in West Virginia, they were actually the man who uh, she had got divorced from. It was his parents. That I stayed with in West Virginia. Wow! Um, so really, really interesting how that how that came to be. So you had not a whole lot of contact with your father, but it was his parents that helped exactly. to raise you when you were a teenager. Exactly. exactly. That is a interesting twist, huh? Yeah, you know, and that, down south, you know, if 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 you're going to be there, they're going to take care of you. They're going to love you. And my mom was, like I said, trying to find herself, had a lot of abuse in the household and just young and uh, realized that she really couldn't take care of a child at the time. So, you know. How old was she when, when she had you? So she was 23 when she had me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so what were you like as a kid? So I was a very, 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 very shy kid, um, you know back and forth between West Virginia and Washington, D.C., and there's just such a vast difference. Um, I would go home in West Virginia, and it was it was great. You know, it's, it's wide open. Everybody's your friend. You can just go and play anywhere you want to. But D.C. is not like that. It's a lot different. I was extremely not shy. Not at all. I was, uh, I was bullied. I was picked on. It was horrible, horrible, uh, my life in D.C., and my mother and my stepfather, they really tried the best that they could do. But it was just the environment that we were in that it didn't get any better. Mm. So when you uh, you made the move, I, did you say you were 13 when you made the move 13. to West Virginia? Yeah. Yes. So mm -hmm. how did uh, what, what were some of the biggest changes that you experienced going from inner city and being bullied out to the uh, middle of nowhere? 
Well, tremendous changes. I'll tell you what I did, and people don't believe me, but it is what I did. So I'm I'm there, and I <laughs> I was in school, in middle school, and I was in a band. I didn't know how to play an instrument. I don't know how they let me in the band. I was in the band for many years. And I'm sitting there getting ready to leave in about a week, and I said, you know what? I don't want to be the person I am anymore. I want to be somebody different. And I literally wrote a script of how I wanted to be. Um, I watched all these TV shows and I said, I want to be like this person, like that person. I, I wrote a script out and I would go and I played that script out until it became who I was at that time. Wow. Do you still have a copy of this script? Oh, I wish I did. <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I did. But, you know, what, I would, what, uh, what kind of things were on that? So I was I was just unpopular. I was an awkward little kid. You know, nobody really. Uh, like me, I had an accent because, you know, coming back and forth from the country, I didn't really fit in. And um, so the biggest thing was, I said, you know, I want to be popular. You know, um, I said, I want to be the bully now. You know, I want to make sure that people respect me. Uh, I had it planned out what I was going to do the first day of school. And then, you know, if if it worked out, I would put a check beside it. If it didn't work out, I would try to tweak it a little bit. And I worked on that script for about two and a half years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you you had been thinking about this for a long time. I definitely did. I was I was a miserable kid. It was really, <laughs> it was really 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 bad. And uh, I was sitting in school one day. I said, "Look, I'm not popular. Uh, I'm not smart enough to be a geek because I'm failing in class, and 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 nobody really cares about me. You know, I can't continue to live like this. I need to write who I want to be. And the funny thing is, we were in church. You know, I just didn't have any relationship with God." It was kind of like church was what we did. And then, um, you know, at home life, it was just completely different. Well, that that's always one of my questions along the way here. Did, did Do you ever remember having any, uh, any experience with God or with the presence of God? No, I went to a, uh, I went to a Baptist church in DC and, um, I was that church kid that we were always in church. My dad, uh, stepfather was a deacon. My mother was in the choir. I was in the children's choir. We did everything. When I'm saying we was in church five days a week, we literally were. And it's not like our churches, you know, where, you know, we have a sermon, fellowship a little bit afterwards. Two hours, you're back home. No, you're there all day. You know, they're all day, all day long. So we Okay, really one of spent, those churches. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. You know, spent a long time in church and I was, you know, in the youth groups and things like that. And I'm just doing what everybody else is doing. I really don't have any type of relationship with God myself, but I'm the deacon's kid. You know, I'm the kid in the church choir. I'm supposed to do these things. So uh, right before I left to go to West Virginia at 14, um, I, I raised my hand. I went to the altar, uh, got saved and, uh, you know, got baptized. But, and I really didn't understand anything at all. Well, there must have been something going on, though, because uh, nobody was forcing you to raise your hand, were they? Nobody was forcing me, but it was it was what you were supposed to do, you okay. know, especially the type of kid that I was. You know, you're involved in everything. You know, it's it's like, all right, well, when's your turn to go to get saved? And um, I really didn't understand anything about it. Uh, the The pastor that we had, you know, maybe he was just preaching over my head. I didn't really get anything. Um, I remember, you know, once again, I'm in the inner city. I'm in Sunday school. We had Sunday school before church. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to stop myself from cursing 
in Sunday school, you know, they ask you a question and I'm trying to answer the question without cursing and really thinking hard how to do that. And, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have God in me at all. It's just, that's what we did. You know, we went to church, we, we sang in the choir and, and we were deep in the church. I mean, we, we had a traveling, um, traveling choir. We would go places and, you know, do big Baptist conventions. It was big, but I didn't know God for myself. Hmm. So <clears throat> it sounds like maybe you were you were kind of a people pleaser, like you were trying to make others happy oh, around you. But would you say that's true? Definitely, definitely, definitely. So just wanted to be accepted. Once again, I was a little kid and just had no friends. My only friends were the church friends. But to be honest, what I remember, they were no different. I mean, they weren't saved by any means. You know, we're just. Our parents, our grandparents had to go to church, and this is where we would meet. Okay, so do you remember uh, in that time or maybe even afterwards in West Virginia, do you remember struggling with some particular sins that, that started to bring any guilt or conviction on you? Definitely. Uh, you know, my mom, um, she worked as a nurse assistant, and she would work at these nursing homes, at these hospitals all the time. and uh, and. My stepfather, he was an engineer, and I was always at home, and TV raised me. TV raised me. It was nothing but TV all the time. I had no friends, so all I did was sit home and watch TV, and and that's wow. where the script came from. You know, I like, you know, I want to be like this character. I want to be like that person uh, because I truly, truly hated the person that I was. Um, I would get, it was, and my, my family was so oblivious to it. So I would have bullies that would knock on my door in the morning, right? And they would say, hey, you know, it's Jamar home. As they're taking my lunch money for school, my mom is in the kitchen making them breakfast because she doesn't realize what's going on. I'm just explaining to her, like, hey, like, these guys are beating me up. <laughs> I said, no, they're, those are your friends. Like, no, they're not my friends. They're not my friends at all. Um Yeah, it was interesting. And, and they were getting breakfast from your mother? <laughs> and they were getting breakfast. My mother would get up in the morning and fry chicken and all types of stuff. And, you know, I'm the kid at the bus stop with a with a chicken leg quarter in my hand, <laughs> grease dripping down on the on the concrete. Wow, that that's that's quite a hookup they had. <laughs> oh, they every morning they come right and and she was just oblivious, you know. She going to church and it's like, Oh, okay, well, you know, my son has friends and like these are not my friends. And uh it got so bad one day, um, you know, back in the day, it's, hey, you get out the house and make a friend. You can't sit in the house all day. So go outside the house and, uh, you know, playing basketball with these folks. And they sit their dog on me. And I get bit bad. Uh, I get bit so bad um, I couldn't walk. And oh, no. if you know anything about D.C., there's nothing but hills, one-way street hills. And I'm literally crawling on my hands and knees uh, up the hill to the house. Blood is streaming all over the place because uh, this dog had bit me and locked onto me. And uh, and I was like, do you realize that these are not my friends now? And uh, it was really a, a hard time, hard time. I had to get 13 stitches. Ooh. So, uh, so no dogs for you anymore, huh? No, I don't do animals. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do animals. And the funny thing is we're in the hospital. You know, and, and this is, we're old school family. So I get bit by this dog. And instead of my mother taking me to the emergency room, she takes me to Miss Thomas of the church 
because she was a nurse 30 years ago. So we're over this lady's house. I'm bleeding all in her living room. And <laughs> just a different time. And while we're at the hospital, I'm getting stitched up. You know, the same people that uh, had their dog uh, bite me, they came and robbed us. They came and broke in our house. They trashed the house. They spray painted all over the walls, uh, you know, threatened us, you know, that we wouldn't go to the police. Oh, my gosh. That is yeah. wild. So is is this kind of the thing that started her down the path of sending you out to grandma and grandpa's house? Yes, definitely. She saw it then. It was a lot of shootings. Um, I was in uh, Southeast Washington, D.C., off of Alabama Avenue, one of, still one of the roughest areas in D.C., and uh, the shootings was just unbearable. And when it comes into, you know, here in Hampton Roads, kids catch the school bus. There's no school bus there. So you're going to walk or you're going to catch the train or you're going to catch the public city bus. And, you know, you have to walk through some areas that no kids have to walk through. And it was really, really bad, really dangerous. And after I got bit, she said, you know what? I don't think you make it out of here. I think you need to go and stay with your grandparents. Mm. Okay. Wow. Well, that. so how much time had you spent uh, with your grandparents before? Every summer. Like, had you, okay, so you were there in the summer times. Every so, summer. So you, you said goodbye to uh, the inner city and the bullies and the dog bites. Yeah. And you went to small town USA. And uh, yeah. so well, how, how did that make a shift in, in you? Like what, what kind of changes did you begin to see in yourself? Did, did it follow the script? Well, you know, it did. A lot of it did. I, I drew, I wrote out the script for the first day, you know, um, in D.C., we have metal detectors. I mean, you know, we're just getting metal detectors around here. Uh, but in D.C., back in back in the 80s and 90s, you had metal detectors. So I remember um, uh, it's my first day of school, and we had to go down into the cafeteria. And the guy's custodian. I don't know what he is. So I got my hands up like this so he can go ahead and check and see if I got a gun on me. And he's like, what are you doing? I was like, aren't you going to check me for, you know, get your metal detector on, make sure I have a gun? He's like, dude, where are you from? I said, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to the school. So that was that was part of the skit. That was my new persona. So do you think that you were putting on a show or do you think that you were trying to become a whole different person? I think I was trying to become a whole new person. I, I really, I really hated the person I was. It was horrible. I hated going to school. It's just so dangerous. Um, and then once again, you know, my mom, like, hey, you got to get out the house, got to go and make a friend. And it's just, there's nowhere to go. I mean, there's so much crime there. There's nowhere safe. Um, so to go to West Virginia, you know, I felt like, man, okay, now I'm in an environment where I can call the shots. You know, I can be the person that's going to make other people scared of me. And uh, it was interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, when you are in a smaller environment like that, you definitely mm -hmm. do have a lot more control over your situation. Like you, a lot of those decisions, you, you didn't have those decisions even to be able to make uh, before, but all of a sudden you can, you can start making decisions for yourself at a pretty young age. Definitely. So what kind of student were you? How, how was the school there? School there? Huh? School in the country is a little different. Uh, I think it was good. It was it's one situation just like it is with school now. It it is what you put into it. And um, right. I came into school. I lied about everything. They 
they were just so naive to ask the kid what was done. So, you know, uh, this was back early 90s and transferring records. What is that? So I came into school and they said, hey, did you take algebra? I said, yeah, yeah, I took that. Sure. Did you take this? Yeah, <laughs> I took that. I'm done. I took everything. <laughs> <laughs> I took everything. I was in, they put me in geometry. I was in geometry for three years. So I think they just passed me to get me out of there because I didn't know anything about geometry because I didn't know any algebra. So, I mean, it was just so, uh, I don't know, they were just so green, you know, to, to somebody coming from the inner city that, you know, they believed anything you said, you can do whatever you wanted to do and, and no one had a problem with it. Wow. So sounds like you had kind of a newfound liberty. Uh, was that also true living with your grandparents? It definitely was. Definitely was. Um, my grandparents, and and just keep in mind, um, my mother was 16 when she got married to this man who was 33. So when I was in high school, you know, my grandparents are 70, you know, 75. We're not talking about, you know, grandparents in their 50s. So. You know, I could pretty much just do whatever I wanted to do. I could go anywhere I wanted to go. Not there's many options, <laughs> um, but there was a there was a newfound freedom, and there was no checking on you. You know, as long as you were home in the morning and you ended up at school, nobody really cared. Wow. So, um, generally speaking, when people find themselves with newfound freedoms, uh, doesn't always lead to good places. <laughs> Well, what, what do not. you, uh, how, how do you think that that uh, affected you? Very bad. Um, too much freedom, too much freedom. Um, you know, it's, it's hilarious because it's the country. So, you know, we had no car, you know, we 14 years old and uh, 14 and 15. So you walk the railroad tracks and that's what you do in the country. You know, you got to get from city to city, you walk railroad tracks and uh, you catch you jump on the back of a train, you know, to go somewhere. You hitch a ride. You go hitchhiking, you know, to to it's like try a to wild west city. It it definitely was, uh, but you know, just you know, everything that a kid shouldn't be doing is what I was able to do. You know, it's funny in the inner city. You know, it was it was dangerous, but I didn't have any access to anything. You know, I didn't have access to drugs and things like that. But when I went to the country, that was completely different. I mean, you know, I mean, there's marijuana and alcohol and everything. So, you know, getting involved in that, I was I was drinking so much. You know, I didn't care what I was drinking, whatever type of alcohol it was. Matter of fact, you can pour it all in one glass. I don't care what it was, you know, just just so depressed that I'm drinking all the time and trying to just, you know, become this character that I wrote the script for. And uh, yeah, was, was, this, was this part of the script? It wasn't. It wasn't, you know, um, the script. I was shifting things around and uh, the script did work. I, I got to school. I was very popular and, um, you know, but it just wasn't enough. So we would go out into town and uh, I would drink, did a lot of drinking. Uh, I never really smoked because uh, I'm cheap. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be paying for any weed or any cigarettes or anything like that. You know, alcohol, people already had it. They would just give it to you. And, uh, you know, me and my buddy, we were selling drugs out there in West Virginia. And uh, it was it was a crazy time. God definitely had his hand on me. Well, yeah, isn't that interesting? You look back on it now and realize all of the all of the pits that you could have fallen into and all the trouble you could have gotten in. And uh, 
Definitely. Aren't we glad that um, God doesn't punish us for every sin immediately? <laughs> Definitely. God is so good. I yeah, remember wow. one time we got pulled over. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm a stupid kid. You know, all that time in West Virginia around all that crime, I didn't do any of the crime. I didn't know what was going on. So, you know, me and my buddy, you know, uh, we're still buddies today. Uh, we we went and bought some crack. I don't know anything about crack. And um, and we put it in a little medicine medicine jar. So we're walking. I got this crack in my pocket. And uh, we meet these girls. Because once again, we don't have a car. So we meet these girls. Like, hey, could you give us a ride somewhere? So we don't know these girls. So it's me, him, two girls. And the police pull us over. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I took that medicine uh, container. I, I was in the back seat. I stuffed it as far in the back seat as I could. And the cop took us out of the car. He checked us, you know, hey, do you have anything? No, we don't have anything. Had a dog, but he didn't bring the dog into the car to sniff for any type of drugs. So that night we got to go home. Yeah. So you, you were one second away from a very different story, huh? <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Wow. And even when I tried to do good, uh, we went to a party. Me and my buddy Michael went to a party. And um, I just wanted a double cheeseburger. That's all I wanted. You know, it's uh, it's late at night. Didn't have a car. I never had a car. And I said, you know, let's let's find somebody to take us to McDonald's. So, you know, we meet this guy at the party, and uh, it's him and a girl. He said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take you on McDonald's. Ride with me for a little bit. So we're riding, and we drive past this police station, and you know, all these police start coming out. Well, it's a police station. I guess that's what they're supposed to do. And uh, they start chasing us and i'm like what in the world so we're driving this guy's this is the country so we're driving down these dirt roads we're going into cornfields this guy was an amazing driver he had a brand new bronco back back in the day blazer got a brand new blazer and um you know he's high on coke so i'm sitting in the front seat with him we had a 30 pack of a beer and you know he's taking off his coke he's trying to swallow his coke so they don't, um, you know, they don't find it on them. And he's like, hey, man, pass me a beer. So I'm passing beers. So we're driving, and then they start shooting at us. So what? Like, oh, my goodness, yes. They start shooting at us. True story. And, uh, you know, we're, we're still driving. I'm like, hey, man, you need to pull over, bro. Like, what are you doing? So I look out the window. I bring my head back in. They shoot the mirror off. He keeps going. This guy was the, the most amazing driver I've ever seen in my life. Because he would be on the he would be on the regular road, <laughs> then he'll go in the woods and drive back on. And they shot out one tire. He's still going, still going, no problem. I mean, we drove for about forty minutes, and then they shot out the other tire. And uh, I said, "Man, what are you gonna do? You, you got to pull over now." So, of all places, he pulls over in the cornfield. So you know, we have no control over the truck, so it's just knocking down all these you know ears of corn. Uh, corn stalks and he stops in the middle <laughs> of the field and I'm as drunk as can be because you know I'm I'm scared so I'm drinking I'll give him a beer and I'm drinking I'm 15 oh years gosh. old stupid and then when the police come the police come they open the door and uh, I mean they threw me so far it was amazing and I've never seen so many police in my life you know I'm there laying on the ground and they have rifles shotguns they have all types of stuff so this is what happened so we're in the police car and they was like, hey, why'd you steal the car? I'm like, what car do you, what are you talking about? This guy, this lady, we're so dumb. We didn't notice that was handicapped plates on the car. 
Oh he, my gosh. Uh, yeah, he knocked over this lady in a wheelchair and stole her car. And we're riding in the car with him. And uh, wow. we end up at the police station. Me and my buddy were drunk. They had us in a completely separate holding cell. And out just God's favor, you know, the cops was like, okay, we know you didn't do it. We know it was this guy right here. We're just going to call your grandmother and have her, have her pick you up. Oh, my gosh. Um, it was no one charges. of the longest. No charges, no nothing. We sat there in the jail cell for about, I don't know, two or three hours until his grandmother came to get us. And, and that was it. Wow. One of the largest, <laughs> one of the longest car chases in that county's history. <laughs> you got quite a record. Yeah. Yeah. But no record. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Oh, that's crazy. So where, where is this life taking you? Uh, did you keep getting in more trouble or did you keep start getting to... in more trouble? You know, uh, always it was, it was the alcohol. It was alcohol. I would, I would do anything to drink. If I could get alcohol, you know, I would do that. I mean, I woke up one. I woke up in Pennsylvania. Now, once again, we're in West Virginia. I woke up in Pennsylvania in a little girl's room. I was panicking. So I woke up and I see us. I'm looking around. It's got all these, you know, little kid pictures and things. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? So I'm trying to like, I'm, I was getting ready to jump out the window. I don't know what I did. I'm terrified. So, you know, <laughs> too scared to oh jump out gosh. the window. So I'm trying to creep out the door and, and, uh, I got my friends downstairs. So like, Oh man, you just went to sleep in, in this girl's, um, sister's room. You know, I guess I got so drunk. I will black out. I blacked out all the time when I was drinking and, uh, we just took a road trip. Didn't know anything about it. One time I was drinking so bad that, uh, you know, this guy had an Uzi and he's showing me the Uzi cause I'm from DC and I'm trying to act like I'm bad. I've never held a gun <laughs> in my life. I was like, let me see that. So, um, you know, I'm drinking in West Virginia's mountains. So I rolled down the mountain, you know, I drink, I lost balance with the gun. I'm rolling down the mountain. The gun is rolling with me. And I wake up in the morning on the side of a tire with the gun beside me. Um, God saved me so many times, <laughs> so many times. Another time we were walking, you know, it's a lot of snow in West Virginia and I would just black out. I would, I had very good friends. Thank God for very good friends. I would, wow. I would black out. I would throw up all over the place. They would clean it up and help me. So I was drinking one time and we're walking, we're walking from the grocery store and I wake up and there's newspaper all over the room. I'm laying on all this newspaper. And I come out the room like, Hey man, what y'all doing, man? Why y'all treat me like a dog? They said, no, that's you. You were drunk. You jumped on the back of a paper truck. I guess they were doing deliveries. And you said, yeah, I can have some newspaper too. And you stole a bale of newspapers, brought it home, scattered it all over the floor <laughs> and you went to sleep in it. I mean, I was just drunk, blackout, and throw up all over the place. The most sloppy, disgusting drunk that you could imagine. Wow. Yeah. I, I'm just, I, 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 it's, it's crazy for me to think about you because I, I only know the saved version of you. Yeah. <laughs> that is nothing like the person that I know. Yeah. So, uh, have, have you told your children these stories? Oh, all the time. All the time. You know, I, I truly believe, you know, uh, just for people to know, I have a, a 18 year old. I have a 15 year old, a 14 year old. And um, my youngest is going to be 12 on, on Sunday. I don't hold anything back. 
I tell my wife, don't hold anything back because the things that they see at school, the things that they'll you know, witness on social media is much worse than anything we could tell them. So I'd rather them learn the truth from home uh, than out there in the streets. So I tell them everything, everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, so the alcohol had you pretty bound in Definitely. life. Leads you to a lot of bad places. Definitely. The 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 book of Proverbs was playing out in your life. <laughs> Definitely. Who who has woe? Who has red eyes? <laughs> it's the one who li- lingers long. Uh, yeah. So uh, so did this? What what kind of? Uh, maybe you can distill down to like the the gist of it. What what did it produce in you, and where was it taking you? It produced an emptiness, an emptiness. And I would just find myself, um, you know, I wrote this script of the person who I wanted to be, and I became that person. And I was popular, and I had friends, and everybody liked me, but it still wasn't good enough. And growing up in the church, you know, my, my grandparents, uh, they went to an old Baptist church in the country, and we'll tell you about my family um, in D.C. going to church. I was very religious. So I would do stupid stuff. So I, you know, I'm drinking and I'm drunk and I would go and, you know, go to a church and like be on the steps and pray on the steps. You know, I was, it was all these things like, well, you know, what I need to do is I just need to go and be at the church and that'd be everything is going to be okay. If I can just get to a church, you know, the middle of the night, if I can just get to a church, didn't matter what church it was, um, but never when they're open. <laughs> you know, I just want to get to the church steps because it's holy. And uh, <laughs> I remember I graduated from high school and uh, this was the third time I, I, I spoke to my father. You know, he congratulated me, gave me a hundred dollars when I graduated. And I'm sitting here, um, sitting on my, my aunt's couch and I'm like, who am I? What am I doing with my life? And I remember it's this feud that's going on in my mind between, you know, me, God and the devil. And I'm religious. So I'm like, how do I know which one's right? How do I know which one is God? How do I know which one is telling me the right thing to do? I have no idea. And I just remember I just laid there and laid there and laid there and I, I couldn't figure out what to do. And uh, me and my buddy, we hitchhiked um, to Charleston, West Virginia. We stayed in, a, in an abandoned um, apartment and uh, we just went to work. I worked at an IHOP or a pancake house. He worked at a different restaurant. And, you know, we just tried to do that for a while, just tried to work and make some money. But, of course, I mean, come on, that's that's not going to work. That's not a long-term goal. And it got so bad, I just remember um, that a recruiter, an Army recruiter, had got you know, to a school. And he said, look, if you want to make some money, see the world, meet some women, join the Army. And uh I was dead broke. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, sound great. (laughs) I was dead broke. Didn't know what to do with my life. And I was completely lost. I hated West Virginia. There was nothing there. Uh, My my grandfather was dying of black lung. If you don't know, black lung is, you know, this horrible disease that comes from breathing in all of this, you know, dust from the coal mines. I'm not, I'm not going to work there. And I said, I can't work here. I was working at McAdoo's Sandwich Restaurant. I said, I can't work here for the rest of my life. So I joined the military at a, at 20 years old. Didn't even have my driver's license. I was just young and dumb. Didn't get my driver's license to a week before I joined the military. Wow. So let's orient this in time. What what uh, what year did you graduate? 
So I graduated because I'm stupid. Uh, I should graduate in 98, but I graduated in 99 because I had hey, a friend of mine. class okay. of 99. There we go. I had a friend of mine <laughs> uh, that's a year older, and he's the friend that was from the inner city that was smart. And he decided to do good in school, and he got a four-ride scholarship to, um, to uh, I can't remember, Marshall, Marshall University. So uh, he took a semester off. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take a semester. What high school student takes a semester? The dumbest thing. And once again, <laughs> my grandparents, they don't care. They don't know anything about it. So I, I took oh, a semester man. off. I just sat there and, and I worked at the pancake house for, you know, for six months. And uh, <laughs> so I graduated in 99 and uh, I joined the military in uh, in 2000. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's a big change. Was it the Army? Joined the Army, yep. Army. Okay. So off you go to boot camp and another big set of changes begins to occur in your Definitely. life. Yeah. Definitely. So what, what, uh, what would you say that the military did for you? The military did, it gave me a, gave me a purpose at the time, you know, it gave me direction because I had no direction whatsoever. And the great thing about the military is everybody else, my age, you know, and they're, you know, late teens, early 20s, they were going to the clubs and they were drinking. And I'd already done all that. I did that when I was 15 or 16. So I'm there at the barracks. I'm like, what are you doing? This is stupid. Why are you wasting You already money? had learned your lesson. I already learned my lesson. I was already passed on that. As a matter of fact, you know, um, I joined the military and I thought I was a federal agent. So I came back home, you know, I just got back from boot camp and uh, I, was in the, I was in the club. That's what you do when you get back. I'm in the club, sitting there in uniform. Who goes to club in a uniform? And uh, it's this guy smoking weed. He said, hey, man, you want to buy some weed? I said, do you know I'm a, I'm a soldier? You know, I can arrest you? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> but, you know, that was that was who I was. It gave me identity. It gave me identity. So uh, it was it was definitely different. It was, it was something that I cherished because West Virginia was just so horrible. There was nothing there. If you could turn in a complete circle and see nothing but trees. I mean, I'm like, how do I get out of the state? Um, so the, the military was my saving grace at the time. Okay. So where, where did it take you? So, yeah, so I joined the military, um, in August of 2000 and I had boot camp in, um, in Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. If you know anything about Missouri, Missouri is a crazy place where they have nothing but extremes, extreme cold, extreme heat. So I came in a heat wave and three people died in my boot camp. And I left in a snowstorm, in a blizzard, and two people died at the end of it. <laughs> so it wow. was it was pretty crazy. Um, I had got orders to go to Korea. Uh, so I said, that's great. Okay. I don't even know where Korea is. I just know it's an Asian country. Sounds great to me. And something happened to my orders, and they ended up sending me to Virginia Beach. And I remember saying to them, and I was dead serious, I said, Virginia has a beach? I had never in my life heard of Virginia Beach. I'm from D.C. We didn't go to Virginia Beach. You know, you go to, you know, you go to Myrtle City or Myrtle Beach or you go to even closer. We had um, um, uh, the beach out there in Maryland. I forgot the name of it, uh, but never heard of Virginia Beach. Didn't even know it existed. So, you know, I joined the military to see the world and end up going six miles to the east, six hours to the east, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what what was the base? So Fort Story, Fort Story, right at the end of the beach. 
Uh, I'm there all the time for my work. I, I go often on that base. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's interesting. So beautiful base, beautiful base. It it is, but it it seems whenever I go there, it's interesting that I feel like I'm going to a small city. It almost <laughs> feels like that way, like it's very sparsely populated, not a whole lot of people around. It's kind of uh, touristy, you know, because they have the the lighthouse there, so yeah. you've got people visiting all the time. So so, what did you do in the military? So fourth story, I was a I was a truck driver. I was truck driver in the military because my recruiter lied to me. Um, I, and every recruiter lies. Um, so I'm talking to a recruiter and this was in, you know, this was in 2000, nothing had happened. There's no 9-11. And, um, the recruiter was like, what do you want to do? Now I have to mention this because it's very important. I have never been qualified for anything I've ever done. I've never been qualified for anything I've ever done. So I took my ASVAB and I failed horribly, horribly. <laughs> I didn't do good in school. And I forgot what you had to have. You had to have like 32 or something. I had 31. And they skewed the numbers because they needed soldiers. So they skewed the numbers to get me in. And, you know, there's like 250 jobs, but I was only eligible for five. And uh, Oh, man. He was like, yeah, man, you can be infantry. I said, nope, I don't want to do anything that has to do with war. <laughs> he said, I'll make you a truck driver. I said, oh, okay. I'll just drive a truck around the base. That sounds great. Had no idea. One of the most oh, dangerous man. jobs in the military. Uh, but yeah, truck driver, truck driver in the army. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's interesting because my, my grandfather was mm. a truck driver in world war two. And he used to Get tell us all here. these, all these stories about, uh, he was there on D day on Normandy. Uh, and, uh, so he, I mean, horror stories about having to drive ammunition over the beaches with all of the dead bodies in the middle mm. of the night with no headlights on because he didn't want to get spotted, you know? But but for real, that's that's dangerous stuff. So you you have any Worst good job. stories that come out of that time? Well, I got a good story before I even you know started driving. So uh, Fort Story is not a truck driving base; it's a transportation base. But it's it's all about um, uploading and downloading equipment. So you got crane operators, things. There are not a lot of truck drivers. But I remember now. Remember, I don't know anything about the military. I don't have any family in the military or anything like that. So it's it's my. Um, the first day I, I'm at the base and they give you a chaperone and they didn't have my barracks ready yet. So they put me in the hotel there. And I'm sure you're familiar with the hotel uh, there on base. So I remember waking up in the morning and I'm like, man, I'm in the army. I just got out of boot camp, AIT. I'm free. And I wake up and I'm on a beach. Like you said, it's beautiful out there. It's like it's own little city. And I open up the blinds. I'm like, yep, I'm in the military. I'm a soldier now. And I'm looking out the window and I see a helicopter come. I said, oh, look at that, signs of freedom. So I see the helicopter, and it's just hovering. I see a, a, a rope fall out. I said, okay, that's interesting. And I see one guy poke his head out, look two ways, and he crawls down the rope, and three other guys crawl down, and they drop into the ocean. So I call my commander. You know, they only give you a few phone numbers. They gave me the first sergeant phone number, sergeant major, somebody else. So I called him. I said, look, um, I'm sorry, first sergeant. I signed up to be a truck driver. I didn't know I was going to have to, you know, get in a helicopter. I don't know how to swim. And it, it was hilarious. That man said, those are the Marines. That is not you. Who are you? Where'd you come from? I didn't start oh, off on a good foot. <laughs> My first day. Wow. <laughs> so you thought that was going to be you the next day? I, man, I was terrified. I was trying to get out of the military so fast. I'm not going to jump out of a perfectly fine helicopter. I didn't even want to get in the helicopter. Wow. So 
so you had to drive some trucks. What what was your career like? Career was uh, pretty good. Um, and I didn't drive very many trucks. Uh, Fort Story is not a truck driving base. It's really a cargo base. So uh, what we mostly did before 9-11 is we act like we had work to do. Um, a, a lot of military do this, <laughs> unless, it's, per- unless it's the Coast Guard. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very important profession. Yeah. So, you know, you I'm got to keep those federal dollars, dollars rolling in. That's what you're doing. So I'm in the motor pool and I got forklifts and cranes and, you know, I got to grease the bearings on the, the crane and the forklifts. I mean, how many times can you grease them? You're not even doing anything. And, uh, you know, and the, your sergeant comes out, you got to make it look like you're doing something really quick. And uh, that was pretty much what it was like uh, uh, before 9-11. It was just sitting there and trying to figure out, you know, uh, how to look busy. But wow, 9-11 so changed everything. Yeah, so that so- sounds like it. Uh, for for those, you know, it's crazy to think about that uh, that there's a whole generation that has grown up and has no awareness of, you know, nine eleven. So mm-hmm. for those those who are not around during that time, what uh, what kind of things changed for you immediately? Nine eleven was when the military became real. Um, before it's just a job. You know, I go there in the morning, and yeah, you gotta get up early. You do PT, you do your job, you go home. 9-11 was when I realized that this is real. Um, so when it happened, I was actually, um, I just got to the base and everybody's glued to the TV, right? And seeing what's going on. And they put the, they put the whole base on lockdown. So nobody could leave. Nobody could come in for four days. And I was like, whoa, I can't, I can't leave. I can't go home. I didn't live on base. I, I lived out in, um, in the community. And I was like, oh, these people really are in charge. You know, when you sign that contract, this really means something. And uh, it, it, it opened up my eyes that I definitely didn't understand before. It changed everything. Yeah. So so then um, did, did that mean that your your job changed or were you guys job was the same. activated? We weren't activated. We weren't activated at all. Um, but, you know, we actually started to do more training missions. And um I don't know. The powers that be knew what we were going to do, um, and they were preparing us for it. So uh, 9-11 happened, and then shortly after, we started to have very strategic trainings. Um, I went to Manitoba, Canada, and uh, we did cold weather training. I was up there uploading and downloading trains. We did that for a little bit, and then we went to Mission Bright Star. We went to Egypt, and we did a joint forces mission with uh, with the Navy, the uh, the Marine Corps, the Air Force, and we learned how to do some heat treatment, um, heat missions, I should say. I went to Barstow, California. I did some missions out there. Um, I did a mission out in Colorado. Just It was preparing us. We don't realize this, but it's preparing us for war. And, um, you know, we're doing all of these deployments uh, really just to get us ready for war. Okay. So did, did any of that ever come to fruition? You guys... It definitely did. It definitely yeah. did. Um, I was, so it was uh, 2003 and, uh, yeah, 2003 and I'm in the chow hall. I'm sitting there and uh, it's a Wednesday. And I remember I get orders to go to Kuwait. Now I love orders. Orders means free money. We're getting extra money, you know, all these different pays. And it was to go to Kuwait. I couldn't even pronounce it. I was like, where the heck is Kuwait at? And uh, they said, you know, that's, that's outside of Iraq. Oh, okay. This is serious. 
And what people don't know about that beautiful base of Fort Story, yes, it's a beautiful base. It's very small, but it's rapid deployment. So we got the orders on Wednesday. We was on the, board, the bird on Saturday. So we had to get everything out of our apartments. People who were from different countries and didn't have anywhere for their children to stay, they would have to fly their kids overseas to drop their kids off. And you better be back to get on that plane to go to Iraq or to Kuwait, I should say, or you will be AWOL and they will put you on the brig. So rapid deployment. We had three days, three days to get ready. Wow. So to Kuwait, how, how long were you stationed there? So we were in Kuwait. Um, that's uh, Operation, what was it? Operation Enduring Freedom. So Operation Enduring Freedom, I was in Kuwait uh, for probably about eight months. So it was to start war. So transportation is what you start with. So all the naval carriers came into Kuwait and they brought all the equipment. So the tanks and ammunition and medical and all that. And our job was to download the ship and drive it to the front line. So we did that for about four months before war started. And then we had Operation Iraqi Freedom. And that's when war started. And we wow. took equipment from from the, the ships in Kuwait to the front line in Iraq. Okay. Well, what I'm curious about in, in all of this is what's happening in you personally. Uh, was there any was there any growing up that you had to do or was there any spiritual activity, would you say? Was God, yeah. God knocking on the door of your heart? A lot of growing up. You know, I, I went a little bit too fast because I didn't talk about my wife. Uh, I met my wife in the military. I met my wife in the army. Well, yeah, this is uh, just kind of an important part. Yeah. <laughs> so I was going a little bit too fast. But uh, in so in 2002, my, my 2001, my wife joined the military and she was in my same platoon. I didn't like her and she didn't like me. She got fuel all over me because she thought she knew how to do everything and did it wrong. And uh, <laughs> and it was it was interesting to see this young lady from the country, never been out of country. My wife's from Arkansas. And uh, never been out of country, had a very hard upbringing. And I would see all of these mistakes that she was making, you know, the music she's listening to. Now, I'm not in church. I just know that this stuff is wrong, you know, because I've already done it. So the music that she's listening to and the things that she's doing, being promiscuous. You know, so I would take her to the side, like, let me talk to you. You, you know, you're a young woman. Why would you do this? It's hilarious because people are looking at me like, "Why this guy's talking like he's her dad. But... I'd already been down that road, the drinking and the going out and doing all these different things. And uh, we became friends. And uh, uh, it was very interesting because right when we were getting orders to go to to Kuwait is when we actually became became a couple, which you're not supposed to do. She was in my same platoon. You're not supposed to fraternize. Mm. So yeah. that, the, you had to keep that on the down low then? Had to keep down the down low, and and nothing's on down low. You know, it's it's everybody knows everything, but uh, you just have to do your best at you know not getting it out of out of line. Okay, so does that mean that that you guys deployed together to Kuwait? We deployed together. Yep, we were when I say in the same platoon. Um, it's about twenty five people in a platoon, and then um, she was part of my twenty five that we went to Kuwait with. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty unusual origin story for a couple fighting war Definitely. together. Definitely, definitely. And uh, when we went, it was global war on terrorism. So um, we were in the middle of the desert, 125 degrees, and we had full mop suits. So we had full chemical warfare suits on. So not only did we have all of our gear, but on top of that, we had to wear 
Uh, a mop suit is kind of like uh, what you would see a firefighter wear. So we'll put all that on, gas mask, helmet, and we're walking like that all day <laughs> in the middle of the desert. And uh, you, They were yeah. anticipating chemical warfare somehow. That's the reason we went to war. That's what I was told. Yeah, we- weapons of mass destruction. So weapons much for that of mass idea. Destruction. Yeah, so <laughs> and that's that's what it was. So they would have these once again. We went before war, and they always tried to prepare you. So they would have um, they would have these trainings. So you know, you're doing your job, you're downloading ship, things like that, and they would come over the loudspeaker, lightning, 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 and lightning meant that there was an incoming nuclear disaster, and you had to put on your mop suit and your gas mask. You had Nine seconds to put in your gas mask. You have three minutes to put in your mouth suit or you're dead. So, you know, they prepared you for this, but they did it a little too much because nothing ever happened, obviously. And, you know, about the second month, they're calling lightning and no one's doing anything. People are still taking showers and everything. So I remember my my wife at that time, my girlfriend, you know, they're calling lightning. And I'm like, hey, I put my gear on. I'm looking for her and she's just somewhere hanging out. And I would run and grab her so she would put her chemical suit on because she didn't take it seriously. Oh, wow. So so you, you were taking things more seriously than she was. I was scared. <laughs> I was scared. And I said, whatever's going to keep me safe, I'm going to do it. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, uh, so you're there for eight months. Eight when did months, you guys end yeah. up getting married? So we got married um, when we got back home. <laughs> Like I told you, I had to get out of my apartment and I had no place to stay, obviously. And all my stuff was in storage. So I did the worst thing. You're not supposed to do this. I stayed in the female barracks with my with my wife at that time, girlfriend. Oh, my gosh. Didn't have a place to stay. And I'm stupid. I'm not even going to ask any of my, you know, my battle buddies. That's what we call our friends in the Army. So I'm going to stay with her. And I remember the first sergeant. Oh, matter of fact, in, in combat, um, my wife got a Red Cross message that her father passed away. Um, and the first sergeant, and the first sergeant is like the highest person over your sergeant. Uh, he came to me. He said, look, Jamar, um, I know that you and uh, my wife's maiden name is Hui Hui, of all things. I know you and Hui Hui have a relationship. We're not going to get into all that right now. But um, I just got a message that her father died. And I need you to relate this information to me. So, you know, we did that and that was really tough. So in the middle of combat, um, you know, she jumped on a bird and she went back to Arkansas to bury her father, come back home. Mm. And um, so obviously the first sergeant knew what was going on. And um, the first sergeant caught me in her barracks one day. And uh, he said, man, I'm going to kill you if you don't find a place <laughs> to stay. So we ended up... Um, we ended up uh, buying a house. Oh, so was that before or after the, the marriage? That was after. So the marriage. Okay. So so she got pregnant. That's what usually happens when you're fooling around. Uh, she got okay. pregnant. Yeah. I was like, we need to get married. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do this in the right order. <laughs> we, we need to get married. She got pregnant and we're, you know, we understand that there's benefit available because we're still in the military. I said, we have to get married before we leave the military so our kid can have some benefits. So literally, um, my discharge date was August. She got um, out the military early because she was pregnant. She got out 
And I forgot, forgot when that was. It was like May. We got married in April. So we just met the deadline to get married. So our kid could be born without having to pay for anything. <laughs> oh, man. Just under the wire. Just under the wire. Okay. Well, so now you're starting this new family. Um, I'm, I'm wondering where in this story do you have a salvation experience? Salvation experience. So we got married, right? And uh, of course, everything was wrong. She came from an abusive household. Um, I came from a horrible environment. I didn't even know who I was. And we were friends. And that's the whole reason we got together. But our marriage was horrible. I mean, we did nothing but argue. We did nothing but fight. We left the military. And uh, this is to all those people who are leaving the military. Make sure that you are praying because it's not exactly what you think it is. Uh, for 13 years, I helped people transition out of the military. And um, it's not what I expected. I just thought I was going to leave the military. I was going to get a job and everything's going to be okay. And uh, I got a job and they paid me a whopping $12 an hour. Um, but we both were drawing, you know, military pay and my wife, wasn't working. She, she was pregnant. I had to work five jobs, five jobs to make ends meet. Wow. And um, it was obviously I'm never home. I'm never seeing my wife. That's making things worse. Uh, we would physically fight. Um, my mother um, came and stayed with us for a little bit. She was in a situation where she was homeless. Her and my sister, uh, she had left my, um, my, my stepfather and she was just out there on the street. So I said, hey, well, you can come and stay with us. I mean, bring more people into a bad situation. And, uh, you know, my mother would threaten to call the police because we'll be, she's pregnant. We're fighting up and down the stairs. Uh, I, re I remember one time she got so mad at me, she punched through this, uh, this kind of like glass door on a chest and she cut her hand wide open, blood's all over the place. And uh, we were able to reconcile that because I had to drive her to the hospital, to the emergency room. So we were talking about it. Like, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore wow maybe we shouldn't fight like this it so was, it I, again was really I, again i'm sitting here amazed because i cannot imagine your sweet wife little ruth yeah. <laughs> being so violent yeah you, you must you must have been a thorn in her side i was i was and she was thorn in mine too it was it was <laughs> rough our marriage was horrible we talked about divorce all the time and then out of nowhere, somebody knocked on my door. Right? Isn't that always oh, the way that goes? Somebody knocked on my door. Uh, okay, well, wait. Before you get to that, was mm -hmm. there was there any kind of spiritual awakening in you before the knock on the door? No. That's like, you, God was not pulling on you in any way or That's feeling conviction? No, no? Nothing like that? So just out of so th that that is just as amazing. So I I love it when I can you know find examples of that how God dealing with somebody and all of a sudden the knock on the door. But to mm -hmm. me, it's also just as interesting when you're not seeking it out, right? You're not pursuing God in any way. You're not uh, you're not hungry for righteousness or anything like that. But God mm -hmm. was looking for you. That yes. is almost almost uh, just as powerful. All right. So the knock on the door and who's standing in front of you? The knock on the door. So when the knock came, I thought I'm from DC. It's a Jehovah witness. So I'm like, Hey, do not answer the door. Let's act like we're not here. My wife is, is from Arkansas. Everybody's her friend. So she's opening. I'm like, what are you doing? We, we don't open the door. It's a stranger. So it was, uh, what was, it was Mike, not Mike Price. They were from the Newport News Church, not Mike Price. 
I always forget his last name. It was another Mike that was in the Virginia Beach church at the time. And he's, he's witnessing to my wife and I'm telling her, close the door. We're not talking to this guy. Of course, she's not <laughs> listening to me. And, um, you know, so he spoke for a few minutes, gave her a flyer and left. And, um, and I said, great, he's gone. All right, let's sit down and watch the TV. And Diani comes back and Diani Tijero. So this is a uh, pastor Tijero there in Spring Lake, North Carolina, his wife. Uh, she knocks on the door and she really starts to dig in and talk to, talk to my wife. Well, and, that's interesting. I wonder, I wonder how that happened. Yeah. I mean, that's not yeah, a very so common It was process. the impact team. So what it was okay. is the impact team for Newport news. And uh, Diani was at another house and, you know, so Mike, I knocked on the door, saw a female, talked to her for a little bit, said, okay, let me have Diani, who's a female, and obviously, you know, the pastor's wife of the church, let me have her come back and talk to this lady. Oh, wow. So it worked out really good. So sometimes you got to knock twice. Sometimes mm. you got to knock twice. Um, and it was really good. So she talked to Ruth, and uh, I was pouting the whole way. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Close the door. Why are these people here? Letting my cold air out. And um, <laughs> she talked to her. And, and one thing about the military is the camaraderie. Mm -hmm. It's camaraderie. And you have deep, grafted friendships, right? Just like the church. You know, when you're really engaged and engulfed in the church, you have these deep friendships. And when we left the military, all that was cut off. So, you know, my wife had always talked about, I need a friend. I need a friend. I need a friend. And we didn't know, but Diani had just, you know, they just opened the church maybe about two months prior, and she was trying to find a friend to have in Virginia Beach, and God drew her to Ruth. Wow. So they, they hit it off instantly then? They hit it off instantly. Hit it off instantly. She invited her to church, and uh, I was very upset. I said, what are you doing? This is not a real church. This is not what we do. I went to a big church. My church had maybe seven, 800 people in it go to this church, this lady comes to knock on your door. Churches don't do that. So, um, you know, she she gets up Sunday morning. I'm like, what are you doing? And she's, I'm going to church. So, you know, this is before, uh, you know, back in the day we had MapQuest. You know, you didn't have Google Maps. So there was no way for me to look up the address. So she gave her the address. And my, my wife goes to the church and takes my son. And he's, you know, he's a baby at this time. And I'm definitely not going. That's not a real church. And what she reports to me is that, yeah, they had church at their house. I said, you're never going back. You're never going back. Yeah, oh, wow. That, that, yeah, what they did was they pushed they pushed the couch, and then they had some some metal chairs. I said, you're not, that's not, that's a cult. That's not church. And then they said, yeah, then they took your son. They took him up to a bedroom. I was, I was floored. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was so upset. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, she loved it. She had friends. Diani was really pouring into her. And uh, my wife went to church for six months, six months by herself. Took the kid six months. I wow. would do whatever I could to try to make her angry, to try to make her, you know, stop going. She would not do it. Six months. She went to church faithfully. Wow. So that, that says a lot about her to be willing to, uh, to, to deal with you. Uh, yes. Your your disapproval to uh, to keep going to church. So uh, I'm wondering how because there's I know people like you. <laughs> I, I know the the wives who come to church and you know with uh, with the belligerent husband who who doesn't want to ever show his face. So Definitely. how did you how did you uh, transition 
to, I mean, was she just pestering you the whole time or, or not at all? What happened? You know, and I tell people this all the time, you know, I, I find people in our church and, you know, people that you just talk to, I can't get my wife or I can't get my husband to do something. You know, I just can't, it's not your job to get them to do anything. You know, she would come and I would really try to make her upset. I would try to get her not to go. She never would, um, you know, nag me. She never would say, oh, you know what? You're going to go to hell or anything like that. What she did was she just showed me how happy she was. I saw true joy. And I had not seen that out of my wife, you know, since we had been in the military. So after months and months, I said, you know what? This is something that's real. And I don't have any joy. I don't know who I am. I need to get some of that also. And that's what made me go to church. Not, wow. not her nagging me, just her being her being faithful and doing what she was supposed to do. Wow, that's powerful. So so and you having some religious background, probably you could you could remember being able to tell what was real and what was fake. Definitely. Hey, I was baptized. So I said, look, I'm baptized. We're saved up here. Why I gotta go to church? I don't gotta go to church. I can watch church on TV right now. But that wasn't giving me anything. And I would do that. You know, she, you know, it's like a competition. She would go to the house, <laughs> to, to the pastor Tierra or Diani's house to go to church. I'm like, man, I can turn on TBN right here. I don't need to go to that house to get this. And, but, you know, God was really working on her. And, um, and I always mentioned that she didn't nag me. She didn't, you know, she didn't, you know, demand that I went. She just was that example. And you could see God moving in her life. And that encouraged me to go. And I was wow. saying, you know, one morning I was like, you know, what? I'm going to church with you. I don't know what's wow. going on here, but I want what you have. Wow. So how how old were you guys at this point? So at that point, um, let's see, my wife is three years younger than me. And this was before my daughter was born. So 2000 and I don't know, maybe 2005, we started going. So I was 25. My wife was 22. Wow. And the church that you were going to was literally like a church plant. It was, they were having service in their house, Pastor Ed and Dion, uh, Ed and Diani Tijero. Yep. And so um, early stages, man. So early uh, stages. Yeah. So what was that like? Well, you know what, to be honest with you, and I, I really regret it, I missed the house stage. Uh, so they were in the house, you know, for maybe about six or seven months. And uh, by the time I started going, uh, <laughs> we were in a heating and air conditioning building on the third floor. Uh, oh, sorry, on the second floor on the back road by the airport. I mean, I don't know where Pastor Tierra found this building. It must have been the cheapest building he could find. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we're out there in this. We had two small rooms. So we had one room that we would use for the sanctuary. We had another room that we used for Children's Church. And it was kind of like this open open building that had multiple other companies there. Uh, matter of fact, it had a, <laughs> it had a, uh, a company that did body art. That was interesting. One day uh, we, we come out and you see these people, they were, they were, uh, their bodies were painted <laughs> coming from church one day. It was interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so when you started going to church, did you, did you also have, um, a transformation? Like, did you have a born again experience? Not, no, not in the beginning. And no, did my wife. My wife was just going, you know, we were very observant. You know, we were, you know, 
uh, just captivated with what was going on. Didn't really have a born again experience. I was really still just being religious. Felt good. All right, I'm back in church. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But I was working all the time. So I would literally drive my company van to church to go to church. And then um, and then I would go back to work when I was done. Uh, it, it took a few years before we actually got involved and got saved. A, a few years. That's a long a process. Years. We were going to church. I was going to church for probably a pivotal time in my life. I remember my, my daughter was being born. And, you know, we're no longer in the military. I'm working at an aviation school at that time. And, you know, it's you don't have these guarantees. The military gives you all these guarantees when it comes into insurance and things like that. And I'm like, man, this is a really, I don't know what to expect. My first child, everything was covered. I don't know what's going to be covered. I don't know what's going on. And uh, and that's when I really had to lean in. And I remember that's a pivotal time that we really started to dig in more and uh, and really seek God uh, with Pastor Hero. And it was the sad thing. It was very close to him leaving. Uh, he was only there for about three or four years. So maybe the last year we were saved with him. The rest of the time we were just church members. Mm, okay. So um, I want to be respectful of your time and uh, we're, we're kind of going a little long here, but um, so I want to ask about um, Pastor Tijero and Diani and mm. what, what did you see in them? And uh, what, what do you remember from their ministry? Man, it's nothing like your first pastor. Pastor Tijero and Diani, uh, they were our friends and every pastor you have gives you something different. And they gave us friendship. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the old school. It's when you would, when you would fellowship, the fellowship never ends. You know, we would just go to our house and we're playing Monopoly and we're playing Risk and we're telling jokes about one another. And, you know, you, you look up, it's three o'clock in the morning and, you know, you leave it. I remember we would, we would fellowship, you know, like on Saturday night and then we would go home three o'clock in the morning, <clears throat> go get some sleep, go to church in the morning, in between services, go back and finish the game. Right. And then go to the second service. I mean, because <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't church. It was I get a chance to hang out with my friends. And uh, that's really what me and my wife needed at the time. We really needed true friends. And um, that's what really kept us. I didn't understand everything. I came from uh, from a Baptist background. I'm used to people running around the church and doing some cartwheels, you know. So I didn't understand everything, but it was the relationship that really kept us. Wow. And so the the church was uh was was it growing? Were you guys like one of the main members or was there was there others in, involved as well? It was growing. Um we were kind of the main members. We stayed of course the longest and uh uh Richard Humbert, I miss Richard. Uh many people know Richard Humbert in this area. Uh he was maybe the second convert in the church and Richard was fully in engrafted into everything that was going on. Richard was a part of everything. Uh, you know, he was that, he was the real Christian. You know, I remember I was uh, in the car and I'm um, driving Richard somewhere and I, I turned on some Wu-Tang Clan and he's like, man, what do you listen to? I'm like, what do you mean? Just listen to some, some hip hop. He's like, man, they're cursing, man. It's, I said, man, it's, it's like a story, man. It's okay. What are you talking about? And, you know, he's like, no, you can't listen to that. You know, I was, I was just green. I had no idea. I remember, um, we were fasting. So, uh, it's just Richard didn't have a car. So, uh, we go somewhere. I'll be a Burger King and I buy a shake. He's like, what are you doing? It's like, I'm fasting, man. I'm 
drinking a shake and then I order a burger. (laughs) (laughs) I was just so green. Uh, But he was the real Christian. You know, he was the person that wasn't the pastor that was really living this Christian stuff. I said, man, this guy, I need to be like Richard Humbert. And, uh, you know, it was really, really good to have those people who who could be a mentor in the church. Man, that's really powerful. Uh, I, I can testify, you know, as from from the pastoral position that it's critical to have people that are like that, that that, you know, because it's easy for people who come into the church to say, oh, you know, th- that guy's the pastor. And, you know, mm-hmm. we kind of expect him to live at that level. But uh, but you got to have people who are not the pastor. They're not necessarily even in leadership, but they're living the life, you know, that so critical for people to see that as they come into the church. Definitely. I mean, those relationships and getting the chance to really see people. I went to a Baptist church. It's all about being seen. Who has the nicest car? And I'm not not putting anything against the Baptist. I mean, whatever, it's just a denomination. But the church I was into, everything was about being seen. It's about who can who can scream the loudest, who can catch the Holy Ghost. I still haven't figured out how you do that. Who can catch the Holy Ghost the hardest? And, you know, and it's about being seen. And, you know, when, you know, come into the Potter's house and, and it's, it just showed me the door church. It just showed me like, man, that's not real. You know, that's not real life. You know, that's what you, these people are doing on Sunday, trying to get attention. Like this is a Tuesday night and it's just me and a brother from the church. And we're talking about God. This is something completely foreign to me. Um, but those are the things that really kept us. Wow. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break here. And uh, for, for those that are still listening on the free podcast, this will, this will be the end of the story for you. But if you want to hear the rest of the story, uh, make sure you go find the, uh, the premium membership. It'll be in the show notes below. So we're going to take a quick break and come right back with uh, with the 